What's up, y'all, and welcome into the Jack Vita Show. I am your host, Jack Vita, here for a special edition of the podcast today. We have a great guest joining us, a major league pitcher. He's pitched on a number of teams, most note, most memorably the Oakland Athletics, and currently, uh, last year, he spent the last year and a half or so in independent league. He's trying to get his way back up to the big leagues. Uh, we've got Ryan Dull on with us. Ryan, first of all, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you for having on. Thanks for having me on today. So let me ask you this. You came up with the A's around, I think, 2016. Was that when you made your debut or 2015? 20, 2015. So I made it September, September 1 of 2015. That was when I first got called up. So I have to think you spent at least some time in the minors with Dylan Overton. Mm-hmm. Just a little That's, bit. A little bit. Yeah. Okay. Just so, actually, yeah, just a little bit. Because like, he was, like, I think, a year or two behind me draft-wise. So I, I, like our paths crossed a little bit. And then he spent, had a little bit of time with us uh, when he got called up as well. So I sat next to his wife. I think her name is Morgan. It was a long, it was a 2016 spring training game at Ho Ho Camp Park. I just randomly was sitting next to his family. They were great people. Mm-hmm. They really are. You definitely know, like, he has that, like, country vibe to him, like, being from, like, or went to school, like, in Oklahoma. So you definitely could understand the vibe that he had. Yeah, I haven't met him yet. Maybe I will at some point. But his wife and his family, they were great people. Very nice. Like you said, Oklahoma, Southern, uh, good manners. Yeah, that was uh, – did you like Ho-Ho Camp Park? I liked it. I actually got to see the full transformation. So in 2013, uh, when I was in the Fall League, that's the stadium we played at. That was right before the Cubs' new stadium was like, – it was – Sloan uh, Park finished. Sloan Park got finished in like that off season, so they opened up. So like that next year is when the A's oh, like took over Hoekam. But I actually like I played there like in rookie ball, but then playing there in the fall like, like our last home game, we saw all the A's staff and like their grounds crew, everybody coming in taking measurements about like what they were going to change, and then coming into like a spring training game a couple years later like in 20 2016 was actually like one of my first real games there and just seeing it actually completed and like what they changed it was like a remarkable just transformation of the whole facility yeah it's really nice some mm-hmm. might say it's nicer than where the a's currently play for well, the big league games the stadium wise like you can just tell like the coliseum like it was built in the 60s and it still has that vibe i don't know how it is currently because i know once the Raiders left for Vegas, the the A's moved actually up into the Raiders locker room. So like it's a lot more spacious for them. So I don't know how they read like redesign like the layout. But um playing listening to players like infielders, they said the playing surface though is one of the best in the big leagues though. Oh, okay. Very cool. So did you ever meet Joe Pun? No, no, I've never paths never crossed. Have you heard of him? No. He's the guy who manages Ho Ho Camp Park. He's another guy Good. that I know. Yeah, great guy. Great, great guy. guy. Okay. Yeah. I met, I know the people that did, took care of like their minor league facility, but never actually met the head groundskeeper there. So, yeah, he just, he just manages the whole facility. So, uh, he runs spring training, I guess. Uh, but I'm curious, 
2016 or no, was it? Maybe it was 2015. I think it's 2015. That was when Will Ferrell came to spring training. Mm-hmm. Were you around that day? I was, I was not a, cause I was technically in, I was in like minor league camp that day, but I wasn't one of like the extra backups or anything that day. So it's like, I was at, I think I was at home, like just like in the apartment, just hanging out, like knowing that was going on, but not a part of it at all. I just remember hearing stories from guys that were there. What stories did you hear? I just like, just like trying to be, cause like you could tell like he was, guys were saying like he was all business when he was trying to get it done. But it's like he had that joking. Like some people tried to just use like movie quotes that he did, but it's more like he was like all business about it. Like he, like he wanted to actually make it seem like realistic and like took it serious out on the field. Yeah, that for those who don't know, Will Ferrell did a cool. It's a fun special on HBO. Did you ever see the special? I did not see the special, but I remember seeing highlights of each position just uh, sprinkled in throughout the day. So he played. All 10 positions, all nine fielding positions and DH for in five different games for 10 different teams in one day. And it's a really fun special. He played, I think he played baseball in high school because at one point he actually made contact with a pitch and fouled it off. I was pretty, pretty surprised by that. Yeah, I think I think everybody was surprised. Especially I'm probably even the pitcher that was facing him was probably surprised. Did you spend any time around Barry Zito? Uh, actually a, a good amount of time because in 2015, 2015, when I got called up to AAA, he was uh, in Nashville at the yeah. time. And so like our lockers weren't that far apart. So I got to spend time like on the road. And then uh, especially like, during like my, during like my first couple of days in Nashville, like he just came around and like introduced himself. And because I had like my hair grown out at that time too, he just took like three guesses. It's like, I'm going to take three guesses on where you're from. <laughs> and he came down to final two were California and South Carolina. So I told him like, you're actually pretty close just by <laughs> the guessing. And, but I uh, chance to like talk to him about a little bit about pitching, but also it's like, that's when he was really getting into his music at the time. So he was like talking about like the songwriting process and then when I got called up and they brought him up for that game for Hudson versus Zito during that last little stretch, we were actually on the like, – he was on a road trip with us in Houston. And we were all, like, just hanging out in the hotel room when we first got there. And he – just see him with his guitar and his notebook and just listening to everything going on in the room and just writing everything down. And then he had us all just play a couple games to help him just, like, piece together songs. So that was actually pretty cool, like, being a part of – just like his life after baseball. Like you could tell like he was very, just very much interested in that. And just the baseball aspect was just a fun thing for him. Yeah. I read his book. Have you read his book? I haven't read the book yet. Highly recommend it. It's called, called Curveball, And it's about his actual faith journey of how he ended up becoming a Christian. It's a great story. And he talks about that one year where he, he pretty much knew that he was, you know, as much as he'd like to get that crack at the big leagues, and he did yeah, get it. He did. Um, he did get to pitch uh, against – they had him throw against Hudson. Was that the only game he pitched that year in the bigs? Maybe. It might have been, yeah. Yeah, I, I remember that day very thoroughly. Oh, man. What do you remember about that day? I gave up a grand slam. Oh, no. <laughs> that Yeah, that's that was like the – 
I think if it wasn't for like that one day, it's like that was like my September ERA would have been really good that that fall or that September. But I like that's why I remember it very thoroughly because uh. it was like the one time that like we all wore like our pant legs up to honor him. So it was like we were all going to do it in unison. That's the only time I've ever done it. So I was like, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> So you're an anti high socks guy. I especially I am now, but like when I was a kid growing up, I I was all for it because wanting to emulate Chipper Jones. So like that's why I did it when I was a kid. But when I got to like high school and college, like we weren't really allowed to, able to do it. So like that's when I went away from it. They didn't let you do it. High school, no. Wow. High school, and college, no. Like it was you could do it if you wanted to, but they didn't really have like the pant sizes that fit me. So it's like I can't do it. Interesting. Was Chipper your favorite player growing up? Yeah, one of them. Yeah, I mean, you had the whole like Braves dynasty. So we're in Braves country here. So like that's what I grew up on, and those are the guys that kind of wanted to just emulate, especially like going through little league and everything. So uh, that's really cool. And Zito, for those who don't know, he wrote this great book, but he talked about how he he it seemed like he didn't expect to really have a big major league role. But that year, uh, was it 2014 or no, it's 2015, 2015, right? 2015. Yeah. So he spent the whole year in Nashville and it worked out really well for him as he transitioned into uh, creating music, recording music. And he's got some good songs out there. Uh, he's done very well for himself as a musician. So he got to pitch and maybe mentor some of you guys a little bit. He and did. yeah, he did. He did. Yeah, he took like just like because that was when a lot of our younger guys we were trained. Like some of us were moving up quicker than others, so it's like just kind of just picked the brains of everybody that we could while we were there. Did he teach you the curveball? No, I didn't. At that point, as like I, my curveball days were long behind me. So when like, you, uh, my junior year of college, when I stopped throwing a curveball, it was going after after scout day. My pitching coach pulled me aside and said that that the teams like they like it, but it said it's like, it's never going to be a successful pitch for you. So it's like, you're going to have to get rid of it if you want to have a shot at the next level. So like that day was the last day I ever threw a curveball. Wow. So and what, then, what's your current pitch mix? What are you throwing now? It's just fastball slider. And then uh, I've been working on a, just fine tuning a change up again. It's like I went away from it a couple years ago based off of just analytics from certain teams, they told me not to throw it again. But now I'm at the point where I was like, maybe I should just have it just to have it in my back pocket. That makes sense. What's the off season like? What are you doing right now? Staying loose. So um, I spent like a month in the Dominican. So I was, I was still actually like competitively throwing. But once I came home and got married, I was just transitioned to my off season at that point. And so it's like, I'm still, I didn't never stop throwing. It was more, we just fine tune, just intensity, but now like I've built back up to doing throwing bullpens. So I'm about like two weeks into bullpens right now and just building up to maybe do some showcases in the next month or so. What's a showcase like? What, what do you do? How's that happen? So it depends on the facility that like we, I do it at. So you can either. Uh, just throw like a bullpen with like teams and scouts there, or you can actually some facilities run like a live, like a live scrimmage where you have hitters in the box and they can get a better feel of what your stuff is. It just, it'll depend on what the facility wants to do that day. If they have enough like hitters to be able to do that. So a lot of people 
don't understand how competitive independent league baseball is. And I know it a little bit, even though I've, I've never been to an indie league game, but I had some buddies who were tremendous college players and they did not get drafted. They were guys who had scouts looking at them and thought at one point that they might get drafted. They didn't get drafted, but one guy was like an all big 10 type player. Another guy was all horizon league type player. So a little smaller scale, but still great college players. And these guys went into indie league really trying to carve out a role for themselves and get that opportunity. And both of them had difficulty just landing on an indie league roster. So were you, when you made this adjustment and went over to indie league, were you a little like, wow, th these guys are really good. It was, um, essentially like when I got there, it was more of, is like I took some like pieces of what I was trying to do analytically with the team I got released from. And so it's like, I, I took that opportunity. It's like, all right, this is a great opportunity. It's like, I'm just going to try it and try to maybe like uh, fully commit to it and see what kind of results I can get. But it's like, I knew it was going to be like a big feel just like, how is it going to like feel on the mound? But then it's like looking at competition. I remember like one of my first couple outings when I, once I got there, and just is a lineup full of former big leaguers. So it's like, you're like, you're still like some of these guys might be like a little bit, like a couple years removed from like affiliated or the big leagues, but it's like these still guys, you can tell that they have the game plan and like what made them successful big leaguers. And like, they're still like very good athletes and like, they know what they're doing at the plate. So like, it's still like a big adjustment, like getting back to that. But then also, you, but then you could see some guys that were a little bit younger that they haven't fully developed yet either. So it's like finally like trying to understand which guys had approaches and which guys like maybe I faced in the past that like I had a good idea how to how to attack. But then also when it comes to having catchers that maybe didn't get to the highest level, but like they're still learning the game, so it's trying to teach them how to call games as well with what you're seeing as well. And then that way, so it's essentially just trying to adjust to everybody. And try to, like you said, get a little bit of work in, in mm -hmm. terms of showing what you can do and then to maybe practicing some pitches that you hadn't thrown, like going back to that change up. Correct. And that's where, essentially that's where like we were at, like last year, we were just trying some, like tried a couple different like mechanic thing and see what kind of results we got and like it worked for like for for the most part all year and but then it just gets to the point where you're seeing like the same guys over and over again so it's like it's eventually people will figure out like it happens at every level so it's then working with the younger players like all right now they figure you out what are you going to do to adjust to their adjustment so it's trying to just teach the younger players like the mentality of how to be a successful player at every level. And once people figure out, it's like, what are you going to do next now to adjust? So that's where we try to just get everybody to learn. It's like, it's a constant game of adjustments every, at every place you go. Makes a lot of sense. So what is something or a couple things that you think the average fan who might be a major league baseball fan might not know about independent league baseball? I mean, it's still filled with like lots of talent but I think it's more of like with it being like a lot of them being like MLB partner leagues, like in the past they've tried out different rules 
couple of them being like the ones there, like the pitch clock, um, the no shift is like, they did do that one. I wasn't a part of it, but they did. They have done that in the past. And even in the minor leagues, I was part of like the pitch clock, but now what they did this year with like the disengagements, like that's all going to be a brand new. Like I was not a part of that part of the testing. So it'll be a, a different adjustment for everybody. But for like for fans, it's like you're still seeing like MLB caliber players. It's just whether or not they fully get an opportunity, or maybe that they, the guys that have been in the MLB, it's like maybe they're just still they're playing for fun at this point in their careers. Like their end goal is not to get back to the big leagues; they're just playing to play just for the fun of it until they feel like feel like that's they've had enough. So I think you get a big variety of the type of people um, that are still playing independent ball, like from the the young kids that are trying to get in the door to the guys that are just enjoying their last year or two. So you were, you never made a major league start, correct? Only relief appearances, only relief appearances. At what point did you transition? Cause I think you, you had to have been a starter in high school, right? At what point did you transition primarily to relief? Once I got drafted. So I was a starter all through high school and starter all through college. Like I mixed in a couple of relief appearances here and there, especially like my freshman and sophomore year of college. But then once I got to pro balls, like I already had in so many innings under my belt before I even signed that they just left me in the bullpen so they could monitor my innings. And then when I went to instructs that fall, they um, gave me essentially a choice if I wanted to be a starter or reliever. And I chose reliever mainly because like I enjoyed like that summer just throwing out the bullpen and I never started, I never became a real starter after that. I became like coming back for like rehabs. I did like an opener where I would throw like, my one inning or, and then I think a couple of years ago, like a couple of teams were doing opener stuff. So it was like, I was part of an opener in like a minor league game, but no like official as a starter. Did that feel different from making a, an appearance in the eighth inning? It is a little bit different, especially like rehab wise. It didn't feel any different. It's like I'm there. It's like I had a different mentality, but actually like knowing you're starting a game on purpose, like not for a rehab, anything is like it, it took me back. It's like, it took me back a while. It's like it, I hadn't done it in almost 10 years. It's like, I don't remember this feeling, but I tried to, you try to treat it as just like a normal relief outing as best as you can. So you were selected in the 32nd round of the 2012 draft. Uh, that's correct, right? That's correct. Yeah. So did you play high school or, or were you drafted out of high school? Did you go to college? I went to college. So I had a high school is just more of just not really heavily recruited as like a late bloomer. So I went to like, I was actually like a preferred walk on, to unc Asheville, which is a small like d1 school up in the, yeah. the mountains and they've had some good basketball teams too they've had some basketball. teams yeah very good basketball but essentially after like my first two years there like i had to play my way into a scholarship my last two years wow so it was like that but like there's essentially took a chance of going there somewhere i knew i could play as a freshman instead of sitting behind older guys like like you're not going to get anywhere if you're just sitting on the bench the whole time. So I knew I could had a good chance there and then was there for four years and got drafted after my senior season. Drafted by the Oakland A's, a team that has a 
an amazing reputation as being extremely smart analytically mm -hmm. and good at managing its finances, for lack of a better term. Um, you've got Moneyball, which is a great movie. Billy Bean is now stepping down from what he's done. But was there a part of you that when you were drafted by the A's, you felt a little flattered? You're like, wow, like this team knows what they're doing. Um, A little bit. I just knew going into draft days, like I was down to two teams, like two teams that I'd been in contact the most with were Oakland and Atlanta. And um, so you was, want to play for your hometown favorite I team. I, yeah. I, I thought it was going to be really true, but. I, I heard from the A scout like right before they took me. So he actually gave me time to pull up the the audio. And so one of my friends actually recorded it for me. And, but I just remember like a whole, like the reason I got drafted was like a big like, story from college because it all came down to, like my college like head coach. Like we had like a huge storm coming in. And it was the A scout and the brave scout were there to see me and their other starters. So it was like, my college coach said, so like, we're going to play until the until it rains. Like, you're here to see these guys for a reason. And so we got seven innings in, and they, they saw everything they needed to see. And and I remember um, my head coach told the A's scouts, like, it's like, we let you see them. It's like, now you got to do me a favor. And that's when it happened. Like, like that, like, that day was essentially what put me pretty much on the draft board. So have you been surprised at how pitching has changed over the last decade? I mean, there are guys that are now able to increase their velocity. Have you, I don't know if you've been able to increase your velocity, but also another thing is the, how the way that relief pitchers are used have you, and how starters really don't go as deep into games. Has, is there anything about how this sport has changed that has surprised you in either of those regards? I'd say for me, like I knew, just like being based off like my degree, again, like like health and wellness and like knowing what the body's capable of. And like, it's an ever evolving door that like something new is always going to, and there's going to be different ways to get everything out of your body. I knew that physically people were going to eventually find a way to just keep increasing that average velocity and guys are going to be able to do more with their bodies. Just as a matter of time till somebody like figured that out. And now everybody's like starting to catch on to it. I knew that from a physical point standpoint, that was going to happen. But for me is like, I wasn't expecting like the starting pitching just to just be like a five and dive, like a lot more when it came to like the analytics, I wasn't prepared for that or I wasn't like, didn't think that would happen in our day and age, especially coming from like the nineties, early two thousands, where it was standard for like, most of your starters to go in into the seventh throw 100 120 pitches every out in instead of now guys are sometimes even getting pulled after like 70 pitches so like it, that was i think the biggest shock that i've seen and then that also like now with how much like the reliever's body has changed and how much they're able to like throw and like with a high velocity each and every day i think that's where managers is like well why well, can you use all these guys a lot more? And so like, why, why would I have a starter try to go a third time through the order when I've got all these horses just ready to go each and every day? Yeah, it's definitely all of that stuff you talk about is like things that this way, this sport has evolved in a lot of ways. Uh, you made your debut in September of 2015 
I was actually, I've only been to one A's game ever. I was there in May of 2015. Actually, wait, let me see. Do I have it here? Where is it? I have a, oh, yes, here it is. One second. From my bobblehead shelf. (laughs) Have you seen this before? I have seen it. I saw that. <laughs> my very first, my very first spring, like full big league spring training, I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> so those who are, uh, this is a Stephen Vote uh, NBA referee bobblehead. It needs new batteries. It talks. He does his uh, two shots. You know, he does his impression of the referee. So you saw him do that impression. I did. I did. He was actually uh, Stephen Vote was actually the catcher for my debut as well. Oh, wow. So like, I remember that for my first day, he came, uh, came out to the outfield during BP and talked to me about like what I wanted, how do I wanted to approach, like what things I was still trying to work on. So like we had a game plan before I even got onto the mound. He seems like I've never met him, but I remember, so we actually, I had a connection i met with lou wolf who was one of the owners of the team at the time and he described stephen volt stephen Volt to me as if he was not a major league baseball player he would be a cast member on saturday night live like that's how talented this guy is yes i agree 100 i think someday he's probably going to be a great big league manager as well i could see that yeah he's he was always great on intentional talk. He did that ref thing on there. He did his uh, Chris Farley impression. Did he? Did you get to see any other impressions that he did? Was there any other funny stuff that maybe we haven't seen on TV before? Those were those were the main two that I remember seeing <laughs> the most. Just because I like, it's one of those things. I like, you get a lot of new faces every spring training, so it's like some people like they maybe just seen the video, but seeing it in person is just different than seeing it on video. So he was, uh, and he also, he could sing too, right? A little sing? bit, yeah. A little, a little bit, a little bit. bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, he's he's always been one of my favorite characters in terms of just, you know, someone who's funny, someone who's entertaining. So that's really cool that you got to work with him. Uh, there was a, it was interesting because you were part of that 2016, 2015, like that part of the A's where they were in a rebuild. And I actually thought, going into 2016 that the team could have surprised some people. Cause I thought there was a lot of talent on that team. Um, and then you, they didn't end up, you guys didn't end up doing that that year, but then a couple years later, 2018, you guys turned that corner, get to the playoffs and really a lot of really good young players started coming up through that pipeline. Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, Marcus Semien, like that was a, you guys had a really fun core to watch there for a few years. We did. I just remember, 2012 was like our draft year like that's where it all started like the core like they had very successful drafts when it comes to like big league talent from 2012 13 14 15 all of those guys once we all got to the big leagues like you could just tell that the vibe was different it's like we all knew how to win like we all started together in low a they did well in high A, double A, triple A. It's like every level that we were all together, we just won. And like we just had that winning mentality. And it's like once you get guys into the big leagues and you get let them get their feet wet a little bit and get comfortable, it's like that's when you could see that it, they were ready just to take off. Yeah. In 2016, I remember 
they kind of brought in some veteran guys, just some sort of bridge players before those guys, all you guys came up. You were already up at that point. Uh, Chris Coglin was on that team at one point, and then he ends up going back over the Cubs. And I felt bad for him, too. He got surprise traded after they brought back Dexter, Dexter Fowler as a yeah. surprise. Yeah, we were actually – I remember the day we actually traded for him because we were actually on the agility field like during our warm-up, and they came over and got – I don't remember the pitcher that he was traded for, but they came over and got the pitcher and told him he just got traded like while we were stretching. I, I vividly remember that trade. Yeah, and I can't remember that pitcher's name either, honestly. It's feel bad for him now that we're, we can't remember his name, but yeah. There's a lot of trades that have happened, so it's, like, it's just so many moving parts constantly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you set a Major League Baseball record. And you have a jersey in Cooperstown. What is that record? Go ahead and tell us about it. So it is the most inherited runners stranded consecutively. So it's 30, 36 straight runners that were stranded. And so I remember vividly it was on um, 4th of July was the day I set the record. Because I remember once I came in, got out of the inning, that I was just sitting in the locker room after doing my arm care and working out that our, one of our media relations guys came up to me and said, we're going to have like, we finished this game and we win. We're going to have you come back out and do the post game interview. And that's when I found out that the record was broken. And that was even, I had no idea that I even had a record going that day until like I had to answer all the media questions the following morning or the following afternoon. Cause we think we went, to Houston right after that. So it was like, I had to answer the questions in Houston. And of course the streak broke the next outing. Oh man. Yeah. Well, that's really cool record in it. I mean, you must've been inserted into a lot of high leverage situations that year. A whole lot of high leverage situations. I remember talking with Voda, even after a couple of those outings, like walking back to the dugout and he's just sitting there. He's like, how in the world did you manage to get out of this inning? It's like, honestly, I couldn't tell you. It's like, there are days where like, you come in there, it's like, uh, come in. I remember one time, came in, bases loaded, I think one out. And it's like facing I think Elvis Andrews, who's one of the best like con- pure contact hitters. It's like any little thing can happen. Or and then came out of that outing, struck out two guys in the inning. It's like, I don't know how that even physically happened. Or it's like, but also it's a great thing of, how good like our defense helped me out. Like had is also like there's a lot of luck involved too. Like the ball getting hit to the right spot, guys making the right play, and just a ball like a ball not taking a bad hop either. Because like one bad hop like on a ground ball or just a bad hop on a breaking ball in the dirt, like and it goes right by the catcher, like that ends the streak. Like just a lot of luck and just I guess just a lot of like big situations. But it also like I was happy or just a sense of prizes like that as a rookie that the manager that Bob Melvin's like trusted me in those situations, especially as a rookie. How'd you like playing for Bob Melvin? I love, I loved it. Just, there is just, he was definitely tell like, he's just a nice, like he's one of the better like player managers, just a, the constant communication with everything that's going on. And you, you just tell like why everybody like want, why people want to play for him. Yeah, I think he was a big difference maker for the Padres to finally end that. Uh, I mean, they made the playoffs in 2020, but that was a 60-game season. And they really, they hit, other than that, it had been 16 years since they had made the playoffs, 
even longer than that since they had won a playoff series. I think he was a big part of that this past oh, year. 100%, especially with like the minds that he has on when it like certain situations, what to do, who to go for. Like he, he has like just a list of things that like, as games are going on, he already has like thought out scenarios of like, what's going to happen here, here and here. Like he's like three, four moves ahead of the other manager every single time. Like he's already, he's talking about something that might happen in the eighth, seventh, eighth inning during like the third inning. Like he's already like mapped out everything and him and Ryan Christensen definitely work well together. So like, cause I played for Ryan coming up through the minor league systems, a couple, like at a couple different stops. So like just like both of their baseball minds, you can just tell that they're very well prepared every game. So is there one or two guys that you had gotten out early in your career when you were like really excited to be in the show and you hadn't established yourself yet, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I just got that guy out. Mm-hmm. Um, well, my first two outings were against the Angels. So, like, other, like, my first night I didn't face him, but, like, my second day in the big leagues, you're having to face Cole Calhoun, Mike Trout, Albert Bullholz, and it just said, here you go, good luck. <laughs> I was like, this is only my second day. Like, And just I remember just sitting, like, watching games in the past. is like, how in the world do people get these guys out? And it's like, now, like I actually have to get these guys out. So I think that was probably just one, like the moments this is like, all right, it's just do or die time. And I remember talking to Bob Melvin, like after, after I finished that's my last outing that September. And he just says like, we wanted to just see what you were made of. Like after your first outing, we let you get your feet wet. But after that, I faced, the heart of the order almost every single outing. So like we wanted to see what you can do. And it's like this that was the perfect way to just prove that you can you can belong up here. That's awesome. Yeah. I feel like if I was facing Trout, if I was in your position, if I was facing someone like Trout and I'm a professional, obviously it'd be a little like, wow, I have to get Trout out. Um but honestly, I think I'd be more for lack of a better word, starstruck mm-hmm. by facing Pujols because there's a little bit of a difference. Like I've met some people obviously in this world and you, as you kind of get accustomed to it, you're not that people are just people, mm-hmm. but some of those people that were like heroes or maybe not even heroes, but like super famous or great athletes when you were a kid that you really looked up to and admired there'd be a little more of like, if I was facing those guys, I'd be like, Oh my gosh, that's Albert Pujols. Like <laughs> essentially. Yeah. That's especially like when, cause I remember my brother even saying, it's like, he didn't even have it. Like he got a notification that I was going in and one of his assistant coaches told him, was like, yeah, he's facing the top of the lineup. And my brother said, all right, we're going to pause practice right now. Like we're going to watch this. <laughs> he essentially pulled it up. He's like, he was like everybody is like that was the main question I answered when I got home like that after that September is like what was it like facing these guys? That's so cool. So you played it for a couple other teams. You've played for the Yankees, the Blue Jays. You played for some minor league teams as well. Uh, I'm curious to know going from the A's to the Yankees. Mm-hmm. Did you see? We mentioned it a little bit with Oco Coliseum, or now it's I think it might be Oracle. No. Oracle is where the Giants play. They keep changing the name of these parks. I don't know the name anymore. Yeah, it was Oco when I was there. Uh, But anyway, 
Did you see a clear difference in terms of facilities going from Oakland to New York? Oh, 100%. Especially even just being on the road side of Yankee Stadium is 10 times different. But like actually being on the home side, it was so, it was just like night and day. Just because of like you, when you walk in the door, like you see it's like, it's the home club. Like, this is what you expect. Like the Yankees club house and facilities to look like, like you can only dream of it. But like when you walk in that door and see it's like, yeah, this is exactly what I pictured it to be. And, but it's like, it's just unbelievable. Just walking in that door the first times, like now I can actually say it's like, I actually wore the pinstripes. So like as much as like, People like where I live, like it's either you're a Braves fan or a Yankees fan for some reason. And so, it's like, I, I remember I answered more questions just for a month being with the Yankees than I ever remember <laughs> getting with the A's. Yeah, that makes sense. So, uh, I know that you're a man of faith, Ryan. Mm-hmm. I, I'm curious to know were you have when you were in the show, and hopefully, you're getting back there very soon, but playing with the A's or one of these other teams, was there? a sense of community with any other Christian guys on the team? There's like a large, a large like community. Cause I remember we would all like, like team to team, like we would have like our Sunday chapels and certain teams, like we would have half a team in the chapel every Sunday. And like, those were the, our, our strongest core teams were like the larger that our chapels were, the stronger we were as a team. And I had, like, I remember I had one teammate, um, uh, Blake training. Yep. He's actually like Dodgers now. Yeah. He like, I actually like lived with him like when in 2018, like when I got called up for September and just like we had, we, we would have conversations just to and from the field every day, just about like how like strong our faith is and just talking about just like life in general. And I just remember like, like the story, like his story of like what he was before actually he, um, became the player he is and just like how mentally and like how much stronger he is from like his past to like what he is now. Like that's the type of growth that you can see. And like, we tried to bring that into a clubhouse and try to just have every, it gave us a lot more things to bond about. And just like on like off days, walking around cities, like you find these guys and you just, just get to just sit, sit and just talk about everything but baseball. And like, that's when, I found that like being in the big leagues was a lot more fun. Like just like the sense of community that you have, like from team to team. So who are some of those guys who uh, were a part of those chapels or that you could have those conversations with? I remember like Blake was a big one. I had a former teammate, um, Danny Coulomb with he's, I played with him with the A's and he's been with the twins the past couple of years um, those were like the two of the main guys that I would like stick with, like for the most part when it came to going from place to place. But I mean, vote vote was a big guy, especially when I first got called up there. Like he, and then, um, those were I'd say those were the main three. That those would be the, all the guys that come up to here. You're you gonna like let's go like chapels at this this and this time. Like we'll make sure that we're all there. Like we'll stop what we're doing to make sure we're there. So you basically have you know, eight months of the year, nine months of the year, however long you're mm-hmm. doing baseball stuff where I can't imagine you're able to go to church really at all. So was that, was that difficult or was the chapel really like a nice special thing that you kind of had instead of church? 
it was like it's very like it's nothing beats like being at church like with the sense of community but like that's the beauty of like baseball is like we have our own community together and we work through like different lessons like throughout the year so i remember each year like with oakland like we had our own like personal binder of each specific chapel day so like we knew we had like we were going through certain books of the bible like for the whole season so it kind of gave us like something that you would get at a normal church like throughout um a couple months like that's what our whole like season was so like we were still getting normal sermons but it gave us it was just a little bit more condensed version like there was just like about 15 20 minutes is all it would take to go through the scripture that day very cool. Is there a time in your life where your relationship with Christ really became much more important to you? There were a couple times. I would say it was my senior year of high school was like when it really, that was like when the first starts became very important to me. That was when we lost my grandpa, my dad's dad, by a sudden heart attack. Man. And then that made it a little bit stronger, like, especially like, not never getting to fully say goodbye either. That was like, I would say that one of the harder ones. And then I think a couple years later, we started as a family going to the beach for Thanksgiving. So that was like our way to always be with like spend holidays with him. It was like being at the beach. And then I actually lost my mom's mom in 2013. Mm. And that was like, that was one of the hard ones because I wasn't able to attend the funeral because mm. I was in, wisconsin at the time and it's like that was like one of the ones like it's hard trying to cope with that while you're so far away and you there's nobody like you that's where you have to lean on guys that are in chapel like you have those personal relationships with that's where you have to lean on them the most especially going through that okay and then i think 20 and then 2014 the year after like i had like struggled all year like struggled for a good part of the year and just i just remember sitting after like an outing or two like in august just seeing it's like what do i got to do is like it's more as like my faith was being tested the most at the end of that season it's like it's like i know that i'm gonna get there but it's like i can't do it by myself like i need like have that like that person have god by my side and like he's going to lead the lead you in the right direction. Amen, brother. So the times where you have felt weak have been the times that you've been able to put the most amount of trust into God and he's been able to lead you through those situations. Correct. Correct. That's, that's how like I, especially growing up with my house is like, you just got to have that little, you got to have a little bit more faith that you're going to be led in the right direction. It might, you might not see it right away, but just give it a little bit of time and just let it unfold, let his plan unfold and just like trust that he's leading you in the right direction and down the right path. Amen. Yeah. I'd say the same thing for me, man, when I've gone through some of my trials, which I actually just spoke with your wife, Brittany on her <laughs> podcast yesterday, and that's probably going to be released in a couple months. Mm -hmm. uh, so you guys can hear more about my story in that regard. But I talked a little bit about, my, that's the same case for me is when times have been tough, those have been the great times for me to really rely on God. And I think it's harder when, for me, when things are going well to remind myself that, you know what, like, I still need God. This is happening because of him. It's not happening. I didn't, I didn't do this on my own. This was him 
putting me in this position and I need to remain thankful and obedient to him and ride with him through not only the bad times, but also the good times. I just remember after my first full season in 2016, that after I finished my last outing in Seattle, I remember just sitting in the tunnel with like a towel over my head, like after the pitching coach came up to me and I just sat there just like as a moment of a reflection, just it's like what, like I just accomplished this whole season. It's like, you know, I couldn't do it by myself. It's like, I had a lot of help and a lot of people in my, mm. like in my corner to help get me through that season. So it's like at that, that point I knew it was like, you can't do it by yourself. Like as much as you might want to always do it by yourself, you can never do it strictly on yourself. And I, I actually used that after the season, I actually drove back home from Oakland to North Carolina and just use that as a time to just fully reflect on my full season and everything that had happened that whole year. Wow. That's an awesome story. Do you have a favorite Bible verse? I use Proverbs 16, three. Um, that's like even uh, Brittany and I have that, like that's part of, we have some stuff going into the house that use that Bible verse. And even my mom, like one Christmas just happened to find like this baseball plaque and it happened. And she had no idea that I was like, kind of like the life verse that I live by. And it just happened to have that verse on it. So like, we've used that verse with our like wedding. Brittany and I used it for our wedding, like our wedding photos, like on our, on the jumbotron for our rehearsal dinner. That was like one of the verses that we used on the jumbotron for us. And that verse is recite it, please. (laughs) (laughs) Commit your, um, commit to God with, or commit to God with everything. And he will lead you, like lead, lead you to the right path, lead you down the right path. Amen. Yeah. That's awesome, man. That's so cool. I appreciate you sharing that. And I know you got to run here in a little bit, so I'll give you a few more quick questions. All right. All right. So you met your wife, Brittany. She is a former MTV challenger. She's on a couple other reality TV shows. Have you did had you watched any of that before you had met her? Have you have you watched it since meeting her? Uh, I actually watched her when she was on Are You the One. That was way before I even met her or knew anything. <laughs> it happened to be one of my teammates. Like having just say like just watch this show. Like you might like it. Who like, who was like, it? Who suggested it? It was one of my former teammates. It's from the Boston area. It's actually our mutual friend of how we met too. Oh, awesome! So we had no idea that seven or eight, like seven years later that we would actually six years later we would actually meet in person, and like honestly, and then we I never we never watched her when she was on. I never watched the challenge, but we uh, we only speak of it, but we never go back and watch it. It's just like that was like when we were in our in our twenties, like we were just growing up and trying to just learn things on our own. So it's like, we all like, do things in our twenties that we're not happy about, but it's also like, we're also glad for those experiences because it's a big life lesson that you can work, like, that you can tell your kids about too. It's like, this is like, you're going to go through growing pains in life. It's like, you just got to embrace the lesson that each thing brings. Well, hey, you're just speaking about some of the stuff that maybe isn't the greatest, but she won a lot of competition. She did pretty we awesome did. on there. We did, especially like, we know we're we know we're gonna have very competitive kids. We do know 
<laughs> that's awesome. I love that. So, but you were a bigger Survivor fan. Very, very big Survivor fan. Like growing up, me and my dad, we we didn't watch season one. It was more of season two is when we first got into it, and that was when I was in fifth grade. And I remember like we very rarely would miss a season. That would be like our Wednesday night thing. Is like we would watch. Wheel of Fortune, Jeopardy, Survivor, and then even when Amazing Race started to come on, we would watch Amazing Race, and then that would be like our Wednesday routine. So it's like we or when it was actually Thursday at the time. Yeah, like it was that Thursday. Was, that yeah. was like our big routine for growing up until we got really busy with like baseball and everything. I had to miss some Thursdays, but like that was pretty much watched Survivor from the beginning. Yeah, it's the same with same with my family. We started watching the very well. I remember seeing the Borneo finale, the first season, and that was just a gigantic, huge event. It was fifty three million people watched it. It was this huge deal. And then I actually just spoke on a recent episode with Doctor Sean from that season of Survivor. For so, if the listeners are interested, you can go check that out. Hear a little bit of juicy stuff about that first season. But uh, yeah, season two, Australian Outback was even that was a really cool season because that was really the season that kept the show on the air and they had a little bit more of a bigger budget they did a lot of really cool stuff with that season um and that that was another one where when michael scoopin fell into the fire like if if you were watching survivor like that's one of those events that you remember where you were when it happened 100% i think what also drew us to watching survivor a little bit too was season two there's a guy from like our area that was on it too so like that's what made us even want to watch it more because we had somebody from our home area on the shows as i could so now we got to watch it and see how far he makes it and i think um that and then season three when they were in africa with like ethan zahn like that i think that's when like i was fully hooked and committed to watching it that was an awesome season that was a great season um who was it that was from your area uh, Jeff, I think it was Jeff. I don't remember his last Jeff name. Jeff Varner. Varner yeah, yeah, Jeff Varner. Yeah, I've talked to him. He's a nice guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. I remember. I remember that. It's like, and then when he went back on, like a couple years ago, it was like it was a completely like different game for him. Was, like so many different adjustments that everybody had to make to the new style of game. Do you have any favorite uh, players on Survivor? Any people that you really enjoyed watching a lot? Boston Boston Rob was always one of my favorites just from like the original like just like the the mentality that he took to it that he you could just tell like he was gonna be you could almost tell he was gonna win from the beginning <laughs> and then just the personality that Rupert brought to each like each season was like one of a kind man Rupert that the first time he was on was just he was larger than life there were a lot of people like that like Boston Rob his his first season on, they were doing commercial center around him. Mm-hmm. They'd never done that before to promote the show. Uh, you mentioned Survivor Africa. That was a great season. Uh, T-Bird Cooper, who made it to Final Five, she's a dear friend of mine. She's awesome. Um, so I'm a big – I love those original seasons. But mm-hmm. you're, you've are you stayed pretty, like, into it over the whole course of the yeah. show. Yeah, for the most part. It's like now, like, with traveling as much – 
uh, so much lately, but like that's the joy of where we've come with like technology. Like I can go back and watch previous seasons and see catch up on maybe a couple episodes that I missed here and there. Like that's the joy that like it, like when it first started, like you had to either watch it then or you missed it completely. There's no going back and rewatching yeah. it. So like that's at least like I'm glad for the technology where I can go back and watch it. But yeah, I've tried to stay stay true to watching <laughs> as much as I can. That was uh, the VHS era where you pop in the VHS tape <laughs> and set it to record. And if it didn't record or if someone recorded over it on accident, you were screwed. You were never going to see that thing ever again. Exactly. And then you just got to watch the recap, just wait for the recap. And then that's all you're going to get. Yeah. And then they'd have the, they'd typically do a recap episode mm-hmm. midway through the season. So that was useful for that too. If you missed like, oh, I didn't see exactly why that guy got voted out. Did you have a favorite? Do you have a favorite season or two that you in- enjoyed or remember the most? The Africa season, and then um, the Survivor when they were in Thailand. That was a big one I remember. But then, especially when they started going and being more permanent in Fiji, I think that's when like those are all the new seasons because like being in the same location, but they've always tried they've always changed things up somehow, like each and every season being in the same location. Like they, even like some of their, like their B roll is looks different, but they're, they've been in the same spot for years now. So like, I just like how they're able to just adjust to having like a permanent filming location. Would you ever want to play survivor when baseball is done? Oh yeah. I would love to. It's just, I would have to really work on some of my skills, like fire making and (laughs) just learning to, more so just be like living learning to live off just like coconuts and rice that would be some of the hardest parts but i think Brittany and i would probably want to do amazing race. try to do amazing yeah. race. that's what that's one of our what things is like if they're still casting and filming it whenever i'm done i think we try to make a push for that yeah you guys should that'd be awesome and then you could do it together it'd be exactly. really cool because then she could kind of bring you into the reality tv world and you could add a little bit of like your sports background to that and competing alongside each other. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Cause especially I've seen, seen plenty of former athletes compete on both shows. It was like, it's definitely doable. It's just got to find just whenever you're done, like fully commit to being done playing is like, now I can fully commit to preparing for either show. Yeah. Brad Culpepper, he did pretty well as a survivor contestant. Jeff Kent did pretty yeah. well. Jeff- Rocker, John Rocker did not do well. <laughs> <laughs> you were probably pretty excited to see him as a Braves fan. I was, I was, but I, I knew people would recognize him right away, and like people would just try to get get him out right away. But I know like Jeff Kent kind of just flew under the radar because, like, especially being a West Coast player, like you probably got a lot of there might have been a lot of people on that show that didn't stay up to watch West Coast baseball. So like he kind of he gets able to fly under the radar that way. Yeah, that's a really good point. I hadn't thought about. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. They there was only that one girl, Dawson, who strangely recognized him, but then she didn't out him at all. And then no one else seemed to know that he was a former baseball player. Exactly. Exactly. You just got to go in with the right story and just keep the cover up. Scott Pollard just kind of he just went in and owned it. He's like, I'm Scott Pollard. Like. He was a fun villain. He was fun yeah. to watch. I'm trying to think who else. Uh, Gary Hogaboom. Do you remember Gary Hogaboom on Survivor Guatemala? I don't. I don't remember okay. that one. That was a while back, but he was the first one. And his whole thing was 
he went to, I think it was Central Michigan or Western Michigan, one of those schools, and he played. He was a career backup for the most part, mm-hmm. an NFL quarterback. And someone recognized him on the other tribe, and people were like, you're Gary Hogaboom. He's like, no, I'm actually Gary Hawkins. I'm a landscaper. <laughs> and they're like, wait, did you go to Central Michigan? He's like, yeah, I did go to Central Michigan, but my name's <laughs> Gary Hawkins. They're like, wait, you look just like Gary Hogaboom. Like, <laughs> and you went to the same school as him. Like. <laughs> <laughs> so don't do that all right well ryan i i can tell you got to run now your phone's buzzing so thank you so much for coming on this is a lot of fun maybe we'll do it again sometime yeah definitely thank you for having me on i had a very good time awesome thanks ryan all right y'all that concludes today's conversation with ryan dole uh we are wishing him the best and hoping he can get back up to the big league soon hopefully he gets a spring training invitation gets a chance to land on a big league roster and be the next great story as there've been a lot of guys who've taken some time and gone t- and played in the indie leagues or they've gone and played in Japan and they've come back and his career he's 33 years old he's still got some years left so hoping that he is able to do that um i am very I very much enjoyed my conversation with him today, and hopefully you guys did as well. Make sure you guys subscribe to the Jack Vita Show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, wherever it is that you are listening to this podcast. We're going to speak with another pitcher. This guy, this should be coming out sometime next week. Uh, You guys are listening to this. Yeah. So this will be probably next week's episode and potentially some more episodes along the way as well. But I'm going to speak with JP France. He's been a pitcher in the Astros system for the last few years, and he was just added to the Astros 40-man roster. I think he's actually on their active roster too. Hoping to make his big league debut uh, should be next. Yeah, next spring. So This spring coming up, he should be getting uh, his crack at the big leagues, hopefully. So we're going to talk with him. He's also a man of faith, so we're going to talk some faith. We're going to talk some baseball. Um, And I've also been told that he's a big fan of the movie Mean Girls. So maybe we'll talk some Mean Girls as well. His wife, Jessica France, was on the challenge like Ryan's wife, Brittany, was. They were actually on the show together. And they're good friends. And Jess was someone that we did a podcast with last summer. Uh, Very fun, very interesting conversation. So be on the lookout for that episode and be on the lookout for more coming soon from the Jack Vita show. So make sure you guys are all subscribed to the Jack Vita show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Amazon, wherever it is that you are listening to podcasts you can subscribe and don't miss an episode and follow along on social media at Jack Vita show. And we're going to have a lot more great content coming soon. We're going to talk with JP. We're going to have some more interviews and some more analysis until then I'm Jack Vita bringing the dancing lobsters. <laughs> <laughs>